We've been uh, preaching from the book of Titus for some time. It's been really great. Um, and we're sort of coming to the very end of it. And uh, it's that boring bit at the end where Paul sort of, you know, he addresses some people and towards the end of his letters and says, tell so-and-so that and sometimes don't forget to bring my coat when you come and that sort of stuff. And, uh, but what we're t- thinking about out of it is, is really Paul's care for the church. He actually, he was never building a structure. He was never building a denomination. He was never building an organisation. The church was always a group of people. And he was focused and he had this deep heart for real people. That's excellent, isn't it? Doesn't that make church a whole lot better? I'm just going to read this passage and then uh, we'll talk more. As soon as I send Artemis or Ty to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenus, the the lawyer, and Apollos on on their way to see that they have everything they need. Our people must... I'll start that sentence again. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's truth and it blesses us as it comes to us from you. And I pray that your spirit would speak to us this morning uh, at our place of need, at a place where we can learn and grow in our love for you and as we follow you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul cares deeply about the churches. You can see that from all these letters. And today I'm really talking about the church right through the book of Titus, not just the passage we read there. And um, what is, we're going to look at the church. What was it like? What does it mean for us today as a church? Uh, we do have visitors today. It really doesn't matter because the church is God's gathered people. Wherever they are, in large or small numbers, it's God's people as they gather. And I want to start to say by saying this. We often get in the habit of bagging and running down the church. Anybody ever done that? Put up your hand. My hand's up high. Right, okay. Do you know this? The church has lots of faults. It's full of people with lots of faults, true? But also, the church, to continually complain and run down the church is a bad habit because the church is also the chosen, beloved bride of Christ. You start running down someone's bride in front of them a lot, you might have to answer to them. Is that not true? And if Jesus is the one you're answering to, you don't want to get in that habit, okay? And particularly when, if you start talking about the faults of the church, we're not talking about a building, we're talking about a gathering of people. So who's without fault? Yeah, nobody really. But Jesus loves his bride, he gave himself up for her, and the church is the body of Christ... And God is constantly working on his body. He's upholding it, blessing them, brooding over them, filling them, guiding them, shaping them, teaching the church. That's people. That's us. 
And that's good. And because he dearly loves his church and he has an eternal plan for his church, right? What, what I mean by that is God has purpose to spend eternity with his church, with you guys. God has willed and planned to spend eternity with you. That's a permanent plan. So to be critical of the church is to be critical of God, actually. Ouch. Okay. If you have an idealistic view of what the church, what the church should be, the church should not be like that. You ever heard yourself say that? Shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. Probably, uh, actually, you, you become very critical when you have an idealistic view. If you truly know yourself... I mean, your faults and your sinfulness. If you know yourself, you actually won't be that disappointed in the church. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? If you have an idol, that is what you think the church should be, then you will always be disappointed and very, very critical. Okay. Because we are the church. The real church, that is Jesus' gathered family... This is my point one. Is very hard to Instagram. Right. Do we know what Instagram is? Sue puts up a photo. She's not here, so I can talk about how she She puts a photo up on Instagram, not every day, but nearly every day. Who, who follows Sue and sees her photos? Lots of people. Okay. And it gives you a snapshot into her life. I'm not sure it gives you the whole picture, but if you were to look at those... Instagram, you will see that there is a beautiful sunset out of her window every day, isn't there? You notice that? Her grandchildren only ever smile. <laughs> That's true. And everybody at school is always happy and dressing up for things. True? <laughs> and she has lots of wonderful friends around for every meal. Um, Instagram is a bit of a fantasy, isn't it, actually? And uh, do you know that, uh, well, sorry, I read in the news this week that Instagrammers, that's those people, influencers, you know those ones, they actually have an incredibly high rate of depression and suicide. And yet in every photo, they're smiling and posing and looking very, very happy. Okay. Because you see, Instagram only shows the upside, doesn't it? It doesn't actually show real life. Can you imagine a church that the church will ever be like Instagram? I, I can say this. The church is not Instagrammable. It's not. Everybody's smiling. We're going to slowly go up and up and we all reach this point where everybody is just, whew, bliss. It's heaven on earth at last. Because heaven, as Jody said before, it's not made for earth. Heaven is what we look forward to, the new heaven and the new earth, isn't it? In the meantime, to be really honest, if you, and I'm talking about an honest look at the Bible, the church is messy. True? Can you, find, can you find a book, a single book, where the church is not messy? I heard someone say recently, from the time of the, from Acts 2, from the day of Pentecost, from the Holy Spirit came, everything was wonderful and the church was filled with power. I thought, have you read the rest of Acts? There's fighting and disagreements and... And uh, there's uh, arguments, controversies, struggles, there's sufferings, there's pain, there's jail and constant persecution. Isn't it? Isn't that the church? Is that true? 
But of course, we have this idea. It's all going to work out one, one day, isn't it? It's all going to come good. Yeah. Okay. In Titus, I'm, I'm going to just give you a heap of things that Paul says in a, in a row here. But Paul tells us about how the church should act. And he says things like, leaders should not be drunkards, wild, violent, overbearing and dishonest. Um, the reason he was saying that is because that's what the culture was like and all the people who were becoming Christians were like that. They were drunkards, wild, violent, overbearing and dishonest. So, so when they become a Christian, he's saying, you've got to learn not to be like that. And in the passage we read there, he says, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. He's, he's repeated that a number of times through the book. The reason he has to say a number of times, our people must devote themselves to doing what is good, is because they haven't devoted themselves to doing what is good. Do we have those photos? I miss them. We're going to put them up. I'm just going to show you, sorry, I've glossed over a bit, but I, I really like some photos. Series on the bottom. Okay. Um, is that possible or not? Good. If they're not, that's okay. Um, it's about the Instagram, Instagramable church, the church that has it all together. I, um, I skipped over this, but that's us. Can you see how happy we look? We've got two children, one of them smiling, the other one's a bit dopey, but that's okay. <laughs> And, and then I want to go forward to my children, the next photo. Uh, well, it was Steph and Ned and Wade. Look at that. Walking up in the sunset. Yeah. Beautiful photo, isn't it? It's all perfect. Lovely. I can tell you, in that first photo, we had had not enough sleep. <laughs> we were grumpy. But someone pulls out a camera and you smile. And talking to Ned and Steph the other day... Like it, it goes to the point of, of where you get so little sleep where it starts to affect your mental health. It's that bad. But the photo looks good, doesn't it? Yeah. And Joe looks young. And me. <laughs> I'll go back to it again. That's a snapshot. But real life is not like that. Just before and just after that, it's not like that. And even in, in the church, we do have our happy moments where we, we're... We have happy times and everybody's at one. And just after that, something happens to somebody. And someone gets mad with somebody or something terrible happens in someone's life or someone gets sick. It's just reality, isn't it? And we can't actually and we will never turn the church into that sunset photo, as beautiful as it is. It's not going to be that. And actually, I'm going to say today, that's not God's intention for the church. And we'll come back to that. Okay, I'm going back to Titus. He said this. He, he writes to a group of people. Uh, in every, every church he wrote to, there was this group of people who were legalistic, who were saying, yes, you're saved by Jesus, but you need something else. You need something more. You need Jesus, plus you need a certain level of behaviour. You need Jesus, plus you need, in their case, to be circumcised. Uh, plus you need to gather for on a certain day, plus you need to have this certain experience, plus you need to be blah, blah, blah. Okay? People who said, yes, there's a gospel, but there's more. That was always a problem with the church, and it always will be. 
As long as the devil's still around, that will be a problem in the church. Okay. He also says in chapter 2, verse 1, teach in accordance with sound doctrine. Because the church always has doctrinal controversies, doesn't it? Always. Constantly. Yes? So he's saying, make sure you know the truth. Know your scripture. Because rubbish will come up and you need to be able to discern and judge what's right and what's wrong. In chapter 2, which is a really great chapter, and it's it worth mentioning again, he talks about people in the church, old people, young people, young women, old women, different classes, slaves, workers, all that, and he says things to them like, why does he say don't do this? Because they were doing this. But he says, guide each other, teach each other, don't get drunk, don't steal. Teach how to love. He says, teach young women how to love their husbands because they're not doing them. Um, don't slander. Sorry, I'm in Queensland. Don't slander. Don't gossip. Be self-controlled. Don't lack integrity. The reason that in every letter you get those parts is because, I'll say it again, the church is messy. And it says, this is how you live in Christ. And in Titus, Paul reminds them over and over again, live in the gospel, as we sung before, Live in the gospel. See how the gospel relates to you because the church often and very quickly leaves behind the truth of salvation and it goes on to some sort of structure, some sort of program, some sort of excitement, some sort of anything which adds to what God's done for us in Christ. Even our holiness in the present comes out of the gospel message of the cross. He said that... How do you overcome ungodliness and wickedness? By going back to the message of the cross in the present. Only the message of the gospel will help. And then uh, in chapter 3, sorry, it's a real overview, he talked about those who are involved in foolish controversies. Well, that doesn't happen today, so we'll skip right over that. No foolish controversies, no arguing and quarrelling over useless little bits and pieces. Okay, That happens all the time. Okay. The church is not perfect. The church is not sinless. But it is God's beloved and chosen and treasured people and he is constantly working on them and blessing them. Today. The church should be a safe place for the broken, for the disheartened. The church should be a safe place for sinners. And I'm not talking about outreaching there. Okay? I'm talking about people within the body who struggle with brokenness, they're disheartened, they live in sin, darkness of some sort. The church is there for all of them. If we, again, if we idealise the church and say it shouldn't have sinners, it shouldn't have frustration, it shouldn't have disheartenedness, just, just think it away or speak it away or something like that, we will end up, in the end, angry and frustrated because the church will never be that. In the present, it's not God's intention. Because, you see, we'll just end up being like that Pharisee. Look down the tax collector. You know, look at that poor, poor, you know, he, he can't be in. And he, the tax collector, was the one who was in. He was justified before God. Okay. Our righteousness is in Christ alone at every point. It is not 
from being good people. And it's not from being a good church. It is only always in Christ. The church is not, and Christianity is not, a self-improvement method. It's living in the gospel together, and it's applying the gospel to each other's brokenness and sin and divisions and to the doctrine that's wrong and to the body of believers. It's, it's all of us together, and that's not just going to come out of the preacher. That comes out of everybody encouraging one another, and when you hear somebody who's got a problem, you run towards them, you don't run away from them. Okay? I think that in Christ we're the only ones who can do that. Otherwise, if you've got someone who's grieving, and we often hear that story, someone who's grieving, or particularly people who with cancer, people stop visiting them. Because they're scared of, of death. They're scared of sickness. The, but Christians know we've got an eternal hope. We can run towards those who are grieving. We can be those who encourage and help. And and when we see people struggling with sin, we're not those who point the finger and say, well, you're getting it wrong here. We're those who say, thank goodness Jesus died for you. Let me tell you the gospel again so that you can be encouraged and have the strength to live in what you're supposed to live in. Can you see that? Christian discipleship is never individualistic. Our society is. It teaches us, even, even those places where we're supposed to... Even though you go to a coffee shop and it's set up like a lounge where everybody... It just feels like that relatable place, right? And people sit on their own and do their own thing. Because, yeah, it's not real. It's not real fellowship. And we don't want to have a church that's set up where everybody comes together but is still individualistic. And everyone sits on their own. It's not encouraging each other. It is a church where we encourage one another, we bless one another, we listen to one another, we pray for one another, we encourage each other in the gospel, and when we see people in trouble, we run towards them. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the church. There's a great moment that uh, we had a men's night uh, a few months back, and maybe it was last year, and, and John Scriven said, he, he started when he gave grace. He said, now, by the way, fellas, I know you're all talking about the weather and stuff like that here, but iron sharpens iron. This is the time for us to encourage one another. Isn't that good? Because we all get a bit gossipy and just full of our own little things. But how about if we look to each other and, and encourage one You see, God gave us a great gift. People in the church with needs and problems and sin. And that's how his love's worked out, through encouraging us. We don't look at it like that when you have someone with a problem. You say, ah, here's a gift. Thanks, God. Thanks, God, that someone's down in the dumps. Thanks, God, that someone's going through a hard time. It gives us the opportunity to actually walk in the calling that God's put on us. Because right from the beginning, in Genesis chapter 2, we heard God said, it's not good for man to be alone. We were made to be interdependent, to depend on each other and encourage each other. So, the church is full of messy, broken people, sinners, walking together just as God has planned. That's a good point, isn't it? If you have any other view, you're going to be disappointed. And the church is not Instagrammable. So the church lives... Look, I could have put out 50 points here, but I want to bring three points out that the church lives by. Number one, we live by forgiveness. Do we wrong each other within the church? 
Yes. Is there always someone wronging someone else? Generally, yes. But we forgive as Christ forgave us, don't we? Or do we go home and whinge about it and talk about it around the tea table? No, 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 we're not that. We live as Christ. And it's actually good for us to be placed in situations where we have to forgive. Because then we learn something of who Christ was and who God is and what the gospel is. You don't understand forgiveness until you've got to forgive someone who's really hurt you. Otherwise, it's just a concept. So it's a blessing. You will understand Christ better when you actually are forced to forgive somebody who might not even say sorry. And you're still going to forgive him. Because the church is full of fallen sinners just like us. So it can be a blessing to learn to forgive. Second point, grace. Grace, we accept the shortcomings of other people. If we don't, we expect them to be just like us in our perfect form. I want you all like me. We accept the shortcomings of others. I've had this thing on, sorry, it's not really just for attention seeking. But really, it's supposed to make, it, it's supposed to make a tendon better, okay? And what it does is it, it effectually stops m- movement in one joint, just that joint there, the, that movement, that, that one there, all right? Everything else, I can still use all these others, I can still do this, I can still do this. Just one joint not working good, okay? Just one. First day, my thumb got real sore because it was compensating for that not working. And then after a couple of days, this left arm got really, really sore because I was doing everything with my left arm and not my right arm, right? And my brain got sore thinking about it and my wife got sore because she had to do things for me. That she, had to, she had to wipe my back. It was terrible. Um, when someone in the church is struggling... Everybody around has to work harder to bless them. They move in, and it hurts sometimes. But that's what the church is. It's those who support one another when they're going through hardships, rather than paying them out or leaving them on their own, including when people are hurting or rebelling or struggling for years. Do you know some people struggle for years? With whatever. Or they're sick, or they're grieving. We move in and it causes more work and it causes other parts to get sore muscles. But that's the church. We don't walk away from them. Now in this case, apparently the reason I got it is something like RSI, which means repetitive brain injury, which means that one part was doing too much anyway. That happens in the church too. We need to surround someone who shouldn't be doing too much and support them and take the weight for them. That's grace. Because grace doesn't look at them and go, right, you're a, a, what's that, a lost cause. You're no good. I'm going to carry you along with me and it's going to take some muscle. That's the church. A difficult community, a hard community, a blessed community. And it's when we are blessed, when we live like this towards others. Forgiveness, grace and covenant love. Love which is not based on what we're going to get out of it. Okay, That's love where you give to another person, especially when you don't feel like giving, and they've done absolutely nothing to deserve that love. In fact, they've probably done the opposite, and you still love them. That's covenant love. 
It's love that's not based on what you get out of it. It's based on a promise. I promise and serve. It's like the marriage service. I will love you and serve you and give to you, not based on what you give back to me. I'm just going to do it and I promise to do it. So I can never say and complain I'm not getting enough back because that's not what marriage is and it was never what you signed up for. Okay, Marriage is about giving to the other person regardless of what you give back. That's covenant love. I promise to love and serve you full stop. Now just as a side note, if you're married in a marriage like that, you can have a good marriage. Aren't you? Always given to the other person regardless of what they give back. Isn't that awesome? In a church, it's going to be great because you're always giving to one another in love regardless of what you're going to get back. It's not, I pat your back, you scratch mine. Although that's helpful when you can't reach. But that's... Covenant love is the character of God. It's who he is to us. What did he give to us? Everything. What have we done for him? Nothing. I, I tell the story about one of my daughters, I won't mention her name. You know, do you know how much they say it costs something like about $200,000 to raise a child in today's society? Do you know, $200,000. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, and one day, she was this six-year-old girl, gave me a card which said, thanks for everything. And it had 10 cents stuck in it with sticky tape. <laughs> thanks for everything, I'm just paying you back. <laughs> We've got nothing to pay God back for. And he's done everything for us. Hasn't he? And then as a church, we give everything for each other, even if it hurts. We forgive. We live in grace. We live in covenant love. And I'm finishing on this. We do it with difficult people. I come across this passage, verse. We know it well. It's from Song of Songs. It's from chapter 8. And it says this. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as a grave. It burns, its love burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. Right, that's a really strong picture of love, isn't it? Love burns like a raging bushfire. Okay. Now, the Song of Songs you may know is about a couple. And in the beginning, they meet... And they get to know each other, and they get engaged, then they get married. And, but that's not where song, the Song of Songs 8 is. Song of Songs is right in, they've got kids, they've got adult children, they've they, grown up, they've been married for years. That's the love it's talking about, not the love at the start. Because at the start, of the, the start of the letter, it's got this cool bit where the bloke says, I'm so in love, give me an apple, I need some, I need some sugar to pet me up, I've got all these feelings, you know. Blah, 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 my first kiss, woo! But that's not the love that's a mighty bushfire. The love that's a mighty bushfire is a love that's 30 years later and here is a couple who are loving each other with everything and it says, the ESV says, it flashes fire from the Lord. That's a powerful love, isn't it? Now, if they've been married a long time, you, you can know this, right? They've had lots to forgive. There's been lots of moments where they forgave each other, hasn't there? There's been lots of moments where they showed grace. There's been lots of moments where they showed unconditional love. That's all. And that is the fire from the Lord. My saying is this, old love is the best. Okay? Love that perseveres and endures through all those hardships is the best. 
and for the church that has a love that perseveres for each other over a long period of time through all sorts of issues, that is a strong, strong love. Isn't it? It flashes fire from the Lord. It's not flashy. It doesn't have all the feelings. It might not even get flowers and chocolates anymore. But it's a love that serves one another at the point of need and looks to the other person above all else. Yeah? That's good love. And that's the love the church was made for in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working and building up the church. Not not the church without problems. No, no, no. Blessed by its problems because every problem is the ability to show love, grace and forgiveness on and on because the church is awesome. It's the church living just as God made it to be. Awesome church with all its failings. Do you get what I'm saying? Isn't it slightly exciting? You've got the opportunity to love people. So as you're walking around in this mess called the church and you see other people, run towards them. Bless them. It flashes fire from the Lord. I'm going to pray. Father, we want to thank you that you've forgiven us all our sins. Thank you for the grace you've shown us and thank you for the unconditional covenant love you've shown us. And we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit in the humdrum of our lives, in all the problems that we face, that we could walk in that love, we could live in that love, we could shine that love in the same way that you've shown it to us. I pray that you would bless us with your power and your joy and your peace all through the gospel of your son Jesus.